Hey everybody, on this MacGyver After Show, we're breaking down Season 1, Episode 4, Wire Cutter. You want a chance to brag about how awesome you are at karaoke when you sing Mother Russia from Iron Maiden? Now is your chance. Let's do it. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Look at that, everybody. Again, the sweet sounds of that 80s MacGyver theme bringing us into the new MacGyver After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Hey, everybody. I'm one of your hosts, or actually tonight, your only host, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. My co-host, Mike Kalinowski, is still on assignment, still busily cobbling together something from the objects around him, trying to escape the dire situation that he's been trapped in for the past couple weeks. But he'll be back uh, soon enough, and we'll be back partnering up, recapping the rest of the season here of CBS's reboot of MacGyver. In the meantime, though, folks, like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also hop in the chat. I love being able to interact with you guys with you on the chat, ask you how, how you like this last episode, uh, any thoughts you have about the series in general. We'll have some fun breaking it down together. So we got a couple people in the chat already here. Uh, Boo69Bs, hey, everybody, and T. Lindsay, look at that. Nice. I uh, already Boo sixty nine. You're already jumping ahead of me, but uh, it was funny that they're the old versions of Mac and Jack. They don't even know what we're talking about yet, Boo. Uh, so let's get right into season one, episode four, Wire Cutter. It starts off there uh, for the record, as they like to say, at the uh, the, uh, the Galta Defense Solutions, which is really a rogue intelligence upper agency there, uh, and Ankara, Turkey. And basically, we're coming in, as usual, uh, when we're coming into a MacGyver episode, when things have kind of gone south. Uh, they're usually on some kind of a mission. Things have gone wrong, and we're coming in just as they're trying to make their way out of whatever precarious situation they've gotten themselves into. So uh, they are uh, making their way out of the op. Their cover's been blown. Uh, we, we've got uh, everybody making Thornton, Jack, Riley, all making their way to the vehicle. Where's Mac? Mac is sticking behind because they still need some time to upload a virus into this uh, rogue intelligence agency mainframe. So he's trying to buy themselves that extra time while the rest of them make their way to the van, uh, their getaway vehicle. They get in there. Uh, of course, they're being fired upon by the uh, the rogue enemy agents there. Mac is busy uploading the virus, but still needs to buy himself a little bit of time. So he fashions, makes himself an old-fashioned smoke bomb which is able uh, cobbled together by some of the ingredients in the room, able to distract them and give them enough time to be able to upload the virus. And then he does a really cool thing. We we don't actually get to see him jump out the window, but we're inside the van with Jack and Thornton and Riley wondering how long we wait for Mac to get out and just hear the thud on the ceiling of the van. And Mac just leans over into the windshield and says, hey, let's get going. Let's get out of here. And that makes our way into the show. So, as usual, a uh, little sticky situation to get off the episode, but they make their way out of there in style. Uh, oh, look at this. Uh, we got a couple other people joining the chat. Uh, MJ, love the episode. Uh, <laughs> and then, yes, Mac, uh, uh, Boo 69 Beast, Mac got an intervention. We make our way back to Los Angeles for, man, my least favorite parts of this series so far which is uh, Mac's roommate, Bozer. Again, I talked about it last week. He is back here again. Mac walks back into his house. Bozer has uh, assembled... Uh, well, we find out it used to be uh, Mac's uh, first girl that he ever kissed, Penny Parker. She's there, as well as uh, Riley, Jack, and Thornton. And Bozer wants to throw a little intervention. And Mac's kind of, what the heck's going on here? Especially since Bozer doesn't know what Mac's real life is, but, well, Bozer and Penny... And then Mac, Riley, and Thornton, they all know what's going on. So it's kind of weird what they would all be having an intervention with Mac about. And we found out that Bozer uh, got left out of his Netflix account again. I mean, who hasn't been there? So he goes into Mac's computer, trying to see if he can pull it up on his. And when he opens it up, he realizes that Mac has been running a uh, computer search for his uh, ex-girlfriend, Nikki, who, according to Bozer, died in a car accident. And so Bozer thinks that he's not able to accept the death of Nikki, when in reality, it's, uh, we all know Nikki's alive and that Mac has been finding out clues for where she may be and is trying to track her down. But he's been kind of doing that on his own. He hasn't told uh, Jack, Riley, or Thornton his suspicions or the, any of the information that he's been able to kind of deduce about Nikki's potential whereabouts. So even they're taken aback when they find out that Mac has been doing some research uh, and looking for Nikki without telling them. So... Everybody at that minute, or even if the, whether they know what Mac does for a living, don't know what Mac does for a living, they're all unified and like, hey, you know, this you shouldn't be doing still, especially on your own. If you're going to be doing something like this, you got to let us know. 
Uh, so uh, what, I ne- like, what I like about that is Jack's intervention with Mac because it's basically, I mean, Jack is acting sort of like Bozer in the sense, uh, but he's really talking about himself in the sense like, hey, you got to be able to trust the people that you're working with. you got to open up and tell, tell them what you think. Uh, oh, as Boo69Bs, yes, I, I don't think we needed Mac's first kiss to be there. She had no purpose. I I would agree with that, uh, with you, Boo. And in fact, as I said, this is my, man, my least favorite part of the series. I don't, I say it again and again every single week. I just don't see the purpose that Bozer serves yet. And I'm waiting for something to happen with this. I will at least be thankful that it wasn't another little bit of the film that he's trying to make. So at least we were uh, spared that little uh, bit of cutaway comedy here for the episode. But you know, still, uh, very not strong. And I think it goes to show you that... Because usually Bozer's relations are with Mac or interactions with Mac and any of the other cast have always been usually at the beginning and the end of each episode. And this is the first one we haven't seen him interact at the end. It actually ends with the, with our main cast out on location at the end of their uh, mission. And we never go back and see Bozer again. So I'm wondering if this is the kind of th- trend that the writers are realizing, man, all right, I don't know what Bozer's giving us and they're dialing back on the amount that we see him. To which point, then, I don't know how long we'll see him in the series. I I honestly can't imagine that if this series gets a, a second season, that Bozer would still be part of the cast. Because unless they integrate him somehow, and I don't see what he would bring to the team that you'd want to integrate him into it. So I could easily see him, let's just lose him, kind of streamline that aspect. We never, honestly, never see need to see Max home life. I mean, we don't need to. I mean, unless there's just like maybe a one-off where you're back at his home and he gets something happens there. But unless for story reason that we're going to be specifically seeing his home, no reason that I think we need to have Bozer as part of the cast. We could easily cut that part of his life out. Uh, uh, MJ uh, says, really don't understand the first kiss person at all, though she sounds more interesting than the roommate. Uh, true, I'll give you that. At least she has uh, like a unique point of view and a reason that she was there. I mean, I guess she was uh, an art major, uh, but then uh, also dabbling in a little therapy. So, uh, you know, she had at least a specific point of view going into the scene. Bozer, I, you know, I just feel like he's there just for comedy relief. Uh, yeah, MJ, I agree with you. Keep Bozer to minimum. That is all. <laughs> that is all I ask. You are not alone in that one. So uh, we do find out, though, before they can get the intervention going any further, though, Thornton gets a, a little uh, page there from the Phoenix Foundation that there's something going down they all need to report back to the office. So they head back in, and uh, what they do is they find that there's been a uh, – uh, they get a call from Carla Bannister. Uh, she is an agent that works for the Phoenix Foundation, and she's in currently in Russia. She's found uh, Chevchenko. He is a disgraced Russian general, and he's trying to restart the Cold War. So Bannister's been lo- trying to find him and does find him over there somewhere in Russia. And while she, he's been looking around his compound, he's found she's found this old container, this old crate. And uh, whatever it is inside there, it's spiking her Geiger counter. And so she's calling uh, Thornton to find out if she can get permission to open it up. I Ideally, uh, uh, Thornton would like to send it in a field team. Uh, just to let them take care of it. That's their specialty. They can take care of everything for this. Bannister says there may not be any time for this. And better that we know now exactly what we're dealing with than waiting for a field team to get in. So uh, even Mac is reluctant for her to do that since it's a crate from the 80s to be able to break in. But Bannister says, no, I'm going to do this. So Thornton gives the okay, and Mac talks her through how to break into this old crate, which I thought was really cool in the sense that since she had no tools with her, uh, what she did is that uh, Mac had her take out a bullet from her gun, uh, open up the shell casing, dump out the powder, keep the shell casing, and turn it around to put it back inside her gun clip, and then uh, turn the gun clip around, and it was a, you could use that then as a wrench, and then she could use that to open up the crate. And I thought that was a really cool way of uh, how, do you, how would you use a, a bullet from a gun and make it a way that you could open up a crate without actually firing it at the crate. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh Oh, I, a Boo 69. Let's see here. I thought Jack was a comic relief, so we don't really need Bozer. I would agree with the Boo. Uh, we, we could use less less Bozer. Let Jack. Jack is funny enough for the, for the both of them. He's funnier than Bozer is, for sure. So we could quietly just move Bozer off the way. Just like Bozer gets, uh, you know, like some big break happens for him, and he has to move to a different city. You know, so he moves to New York or something like that or to pursue some some artistic thing that he's doing. And then he can just quietly leave the show. 
Uh, so, I, so Bannister opens up the crate, pulls it open there, and we find out, oh man, there is a 10 ton, uh, 10 megaton Soviet warhead inside there. And even Mac is questioning like how, what he'd be able to do with this. But before they can figure out what's going on, uh, Chichenko's guards break in, they uh, capture Bannister, and then Chichenko himself comes in and shoots Bannister, killing her right there while everybody's, while Thornton, Riley, Jack, and Mac are watching this all on a video screen. Chevchenko then kind of leans in and says, uh, you know, that's it. You should have minded your own business. Whoever you are, you should have minded your own business. And then, of course, like any terrible bad guy, then they crush the the video camera that's connected to them to whoever's watching them. Just smash that when we watch it, the video screen kind of go dark and blank. So uh, we find out, though, uh, that Chevchenko, he is highly trained, highly dangerous, and highly unpredictable. And as we're talking about, Mac is worried about the weapon being so old that he doesn't know if he can defuse it because he doesn't recognize a lot of the hardware that's on it. And when they look at it, like, well, what if about the operating system? I mean, it's all, there are some computer systems in there running. And Riley says she hasn't seen some of the file name extensions before. And this is an operating system that isn't just old, it may be proprietary. So it could be one of a kind. Uh, so that can make it even more difficult for Riley to be able to do anything with. So they do see a, a little something that can help them out. Uh, Mac notices a little writing on part of the warhead and they look it up to, and they translate the writing on the casing and it translates to the word firebird, which is named of a rumored Soviet super weapon, uh, sec- excuse me, a Soviet secret weapons program. Uh, yeah. I'll say, yeah. That's uh here we go. Boot 69. Yes. Uh, they had to watch her die. That was messed up. It was a, a sad way to see Bannister die. Where you just you, you find you send somebody into this field of operation, you really can't help them when you see everything turning south, and there's no way to be able to reach them in time, and you're helpless to watch what's happened to them. So uh, a very a very unfortunate way to lose somebody working for you, especially in that situation. So uh, as we're talking about, we have Firebird, which is a rumored so- Soviet secret weapons program, and. Uh, Basically, when they're looking around for intel on that, any kind of research they have about the Firebird program, they find out an old CIA debrief of a Soviet defection back in 1971. It was a, a scientist, Alexander Orlov, and he gave info on hundreds of Soviet weapons. So uh, uh, so they like, well, if we can find Orlov, because he's still alive, even though he, you know, he defected in 1971, is he still alive? Yes, he is. We can track him down. Maybe we can get some info from him to be able to give us some clues on how we can defuse this bomb. I will say there's one other uh, one other bit about this show that like their little stylistic little ticks that they're doing for each one, a little runner they do, is every time Mac is getting the initial uh, intel on whatever their mission for the, the episode is going to be, you'll see him as he's in Thornton's office. He picks up uh, a couple of paper clips there from this big bowl of paper clips. And as they're talking and getting that information, he starts fashioning up some sort of you know little... You know, trinket or you know some kind of sculpture uh, between these two fa- paper clips and then it'll always kind of lay it down deliberately on a table and the camera always just kind of rest and give it a nice big close-up of whatever that he's kind of made out of those two paper clips as it lays right there on the dinner uh, on the table and a little tired of that running gag i i don't see the the point of that i would rather find for him to do that every episode but like we don't ever need to see like a tight shot like what like this the, the paperclip sculptures that he's made every single episode uh you know i because what to make that to see that it implies that they're gonna it's gonna have some sort of payoff for the rest of the episode or is thornton and we don't see this but after mac and riley and jack leave the office she collects all these and she's been storing them away and then she's gonna do like some guy's big reveal like at christmas or something where she uh, like has put them all up at a nice little board, a little art board or something. Gone over to Michael's, got some arts and crafts, put this nice little like uh, like you know uh, what was three dimensional boxes that you can get over at a frame store there, so she can then nicely place them all in there next to each other, maybe with a date or something like that, or a little code word about the mission they've done, and then present it back to Mac as a gift. I, I, if that's if that's the case, that's the longest running bit that'll have just the most disappointing payoff ever. But I can't see the reason why they keep doing this. It's like, guys, this is so corny. Please stop doing this. Uh, so, uh, 
We do find out, though, uh, that while they're trying to figure out, while Jack, Riley, and Mac are going to locate Orloff, get some information from him on how to defuse Firebird, Thornton's heading directly to Russia. Going to fight Cherchenkov and wants to get Thornton's bo- uh, wants to get Bannister's body and bring it home. And what I love is that Thornton, again, I've mentioned this before last episode, but I love that she's really an active part of the team, and she is just as ready to go into the field. I mean, leading into the series, we were told right off the bat when we first meet her in the pilot episode that she was one of the top field agents there. So now that she's running the Phoenix Foundation, you would think many people in that kind of position would just be kind of, you know, getting promoted up and up and out of the field and just kind of sadly relegated to a desk job and kind of missing the action that they used to have. But Thornton, nope, she gets in the action just as much as everybody else. And I do like that. Makes for a nice little uh, little uh, side to her character. Uh so let's see. Uh, well, I guess we have uh, everybody. Boo69, uh, MJ, you're agreeing so far here. Uh, <laughs> not thinking that uh, Bozer is the smartest guy in the room at all. Yep. And uh, we oh, we get MJ kind of leading us up into Orloff, how the, what, they, what they find Orloff up to in this episode. They find him in a nursing home, and we, we meet Orloff trying to watch the prices right in a nursing home and desperately trying to tinker with the remote because he can't get the volume turned up enough to be able to hear what's happening on TV to his satisfaction. And before he can actually finish kind of, you know, tinkering with the remote, it gets taken off by one of the people that work there. And uh, at that same time, we've got uh, Jack, Riley, and Mac enter the nursing home trying to find Orlop. They He happens to overhear him mention, uh, them mention his name and says, all right, I got to get the heck out of here. Takes off, grabs uh, the electrical cord from the TV, runs out the door. They happen to see him leaving and go out to stop him. And what he's done before they can get to the door is he's used the electrical cord and kind of tied up the hinge of that door so it wouldn't open. And Max uh, really impressed. He's like, whoa, this is cool. All right. Kind of a guy that, you know, like an older version of me. They look outside and they see him. He's made his way to his car and he's going to start smashing his way into a car to get into one, to be able to hotwire it. Mac is able to corner him at that point before he can actually get inside and start hardwiring the car. And Orlov does not want to ask any, doesn't want to give him a moment to say anything. He starts swinging, throwing punches and stuff. And because Orlov thinks he's a member of KGB. Mac's trying to explain to him, I, I was born when the KGB was around. I'm way too young to be that. And Orlov's not necessarily buying that at first. Uh, but they're able to actually kind of defuse the situation there. And, uh, uh, so I, uh, they're able to defuse the situation and get, get Orlov like, hey, uh, Max lets him know, hey, Firebird, we need your help because Firebird's active and we need you, your help to defuse it. So they're talking to him there. And what they find out is that Orlov, even though he designed it, it's only part of the equation of what they needed in there. They're in his, uh, uh, we see the reason that he did defect was because Orloff wanted to make more things than just weapons, but the KGB only saw Orloff and his intelligence as a way to keep making more weapons to be able to kind of mutually have, have mutually assured destruction against the United States and hopefully either at least you know come out. If they couldn't win the Cold War, they were going to make sure that the U.S. didn't win it either. Uh, now, uh, so yeah, the Firebird was like the last response if Russia lost, and it was mutually assured destruction. But uh, once activated, knowing the software is only half of what you need, you also need the passwords. And Orlov doesn't have them. To be able to make sure that no one person could have such control over Firebird, they basically kind of divided up who knew what when it came to that weapon. So Orlov took care of actually the actual building and the, the inner workings of it. And then they gave the passwords to his handler, Victor. He took care of the passwords. So you need both of them in play to be able to do anything. Uh, and we also find out that even though it's still 1971, uh, he and Victor are both still alive. So Orlov and Victor are like the last two that are kicking that had any kind of relation with the Firebird program. And the way that you're going to get Victor to come over here is uh, Orlov grabs Jack's phone and uses his Uber device and cancels three times and trying to get a range of pickup. And Jack, again, I like the idea of uh, not just Mac, but also Victor, or excuse me, uh, Orlov, anybody of... Max kind of uh, proclivities, be able to kind of improvise on the fly, kind of more of a tech kind of guru guy, will always end up relying on Jack's stuff to be able to make things happen. So once again, Jack is a guinea pig, gives get his cell phones used by Orlov, canceled three times. Jack's only worried about his Uber rating going down. But the reason that they used uh, Jack's phone instead of anything that Orlov had is, is that uh, Orlov thought that if he knew, Victor knew it was him that was trying to get a hold of him, he wouldn't come. 
And in fact, as soon as the car pulls up and Victor's inside there, he comes out, sees Orloff standing there with Jack, Mac, and Riley, and thinks the worst. Thinks it's the KGB or something else again. Something bad has gone down. And pulls out a gun and is going to start firing. And Jack quickly disarms him. But then Victor grabs another gun. And Jack grabs that. And then Victor grabs out a third gun that are his bootstrap. And Jack grabs that. And uh, Jack is certainly impressed. Uh, initially, like, hey, I, I admire your passion here, but no, no, we're not, we're not, we're not the bad guys here. We're, we're trying to actually, uh, <laughs> we're actually trying to talk to you guys here, and we find out that uh, uh, Orloff and, and Victor start getting into it because it's the first time that they've really seen each other since 1991, and uh, so they start getting into it. And what I like there about that is that. Uh, Riley is just uh, watching that and say like, man, it's like watching like it's all between the two of you, uh, Jack and Mac, and put you through a copier there, and you guys turned out like really old. So, I uh, uh, I like that. So we kind of kind of see kind of which is always great. Like they do a lot, this trope in a lot of different series where they will bring in characters that are older that are kind of like the the prototypes for the characters that we know current day in our series. And it's great for the characters to be able to see how older versions of them have kind of reacted. And more often than not, usually those older versions are have some kind of fractured relationship. So their uh, their relationship not that strong. Uh, so we get a chance to see what the uh, maybe like the possibilities and the dangers of whatever kind of issues that are maybe starting to brew amongst the core relationship have if uh, not addressed. Because you can kind of see if it gets played out, you can kind of see the ramifications of whatever issues might be starting to brew with these older prototypes if they're kind of like a split relationship or something like that gives the characters to address kind of an elephant in the room and kind of prevent something that could spiral out of control uh let's see oh so everybody uh, now it looks like everybody was taking a uh, a shining here to victor and uh uh, which i did like jack and victor's kind of uh, banter back and forth is great uh yep boo 69 or lives and victor are basically jack and mac uh, at Jack, yeah. Uh, oh, Felicity, hey, welcome to the chat there. Uh, Jack is funny. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, George Eads really like him. Always liked him on CSI. So was excited to know that he was going to be part of this series, and he is not disappointed so far. So uh, I do like the uh, the dynamic between Mac and Jack. It's a really fun relationship, and a little, and I think like a better representation of that relationship than it was originally presented in the original series of MacGyver as well. Uh. So, yes. Uh, oh, man. Here we go. One second here. Always a fun part here when you uh, your notes get a little hinky. So, uh, yeah. So, we have everybody respecting Jack and Mac in there. And there. Do, 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 do. Pardon me. One second there. So, uh, while they're heading off, of course, they have to head off into their mission there. And they find out that uh, it's not, of course, we've got the passwords. We Now we have the man that's actually built the machine. So you think you got the two pieces that you need. Find out as they're on their way to Russia, because uh, Thornton has been able to locate that, that that Cherchenkov is currently in Serbia. And they're going to find out the exact location. She has eyes on the courier. And so she's going to be able to hopefully give them a location. But uh, hopefully soon, by the time that Mac and Jack, Riley, Orlov and Victor get there, they'll they'll be able to kind of all reconnect here and get going and uh, find out that that what they need here is also they need a, a computer system as well, which is pretty cool. They uh, they need something called uh, Shigat. So uh, it's like a, uh, an old Russian computer. And what you need is a, a, a computer that will speak to the computer inside the missile. So... Uh, it, which is pretty cool. Uh, but now without that, they can't talk to the bomb or turn it off. So what they need to do is they need to get a shiget, then go to wherever the, the bomb is, and then use that computer that they have to be able to con- defuse the main bomb. Uh, before we before we get a chance to take off on the flight, the one thing I did miss that I'll go back on, which I thought was a nice moment there, is when they figure that they're going to be heading to Russia for this bomb, uh, Jack breaks into his uh, little sweet little... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his little sweet karaoke version of uh, Mother Russia from Iron Maiden, to which everybody's like, uh, Jack, please, you're a terrible singer. Please stop singing. So uh, feel free to throw in the chat, what are your go-to uh, karaoke songs? If you go karaoke, what are the songs that you're like, all right, man, this is going to blow everybody away. They will not believe it when I get up there and sing blank. So let me know in the chat what you guys think, what you guys sing, your go-to song is. I'll be curious to see what you guys do to bring down the house. 
so actually, so they're on their way, and uh, while they think that all the computers have been destroyed, and they're kind of like, well, we're screwed, Victor says, mm, don't believe everything you've heard. There's actually one computer left. Turns out that Victor, who saw the writing on the wall, knew that this wasn't going to be a, a good program for whatever the KGB wanted to do with these weapons, and hid one of the Shigets in a safe house. So they go to this uh, place, uh, Zukovica, Russia. It's about 30 miles, from, 30 kilometers, excuse me, from Moscow. And uh, they, they he hid something so well that even Putin couldn't find it if he wanted to. And he hid, behind, hid the, uh, the computer behind an old photo that's almost 50 years old of uh, Orlov and uh, Victor, uh, really close, being the buddies that they were. And uh, clearly we see from MJ, yes, the, the banter between Victor and Orlov, uh, all this episode was great. It was, you could definitely see uh, that sense of history between the two of them, that they had had a long, long backstory and very quick just to kind of lapse back into those kind of fun, kind of uh, bickering back, back and forth roles that they had uh, back like 50 years ago. Uh, so we saw, uh, why, so they're, uh, they're basically going around here and they run out, figure out the, oh, hey, we got the Jaget. They pull it out there of the safe that it's hidden in there, but they find out that it runs, that the, uh, the computer runs on, uh, 24, uh, 240 volt AC if it runs at all. And they need to find out how to make this, uh, portable because they can't count on wherever that the missile is, or excuse me, the bomb that Shachenkov has now, that he's going to be put it where there happens to be a convenient outlet that to be able to plug in this computer to be able to have it work. So Max starts kind of breaking about Riley's backup computer to fashion out a way to make this like a portable battery device that they can still then transport this to get around and make it work. While Mac is doing that, though, they kind of figure out why did Orloff defect all this time ago? And basically, Orloff said that he saw nuclear bomb tests and, you know, saw those you know, those videos that we all see, like when we think about nuclear testing, is that you see like the big mushroom cloud, you see uh, like fake cities, a fake suburban neighborhood set up with mannequins inside. Anybody that's a fan of that, uh, the great film Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, kind of know at the beginning when uh, Indiana Jones finds himself in a testing site there in Nevada, again, where he's walking through a kind of what looks like an abandoned suburban neighborhood, but it's really just a dummy area there where they have mannequins post inside. Uh, And he saw how everything just like blew up. And when the bomb hits, everything is just blown away. And the problem that Orlov had was that is that he just could not stop thinking of his nephew having dinner at home with his parents. And just that vision and said, like, this is just gave him that thought, like, this is not something I want to do with my life. I don't want to be the, the cause for all this destruction. But he knew that the KGB wouldn't let him stop making bombs. So he defected right? because he was a coward. He was afraid of what he created. And uh, yeah, so he ran away from he ran away from what he did. He was kind of trying to just hopefully forget what he did. Uh, but he never told Victor what he's going through. And so the secrets cost him his country and his best friend. So already you can kind of see shades of what Mac and Jack have kind of a little bit gone through. And since where Mac has been looking for Nikki and not telling Jack. So very much uh, a very lower stakes version of that. But at least it's an indicator to the Jack and Mac that their situation is not unique and kind of gives them the idea of like, well, if we still start addressing this head on, this is like the worst case scenario of what could happen. Uh, all right, let's see. MJ, MJ, your go-to song, Leaving on a Jet Plane, all by John Denver. Oh, nice, MJ. I like that. Nice classic one. All right. Uh, wow, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, let's see. And Felicity, let's see. Uh, he likes this this version of Mac and Jack and also likes Riley, too. Yeah, good call, uh, Felicity. Yeah, I've been really – the I, I've enjoyed that, that dynamic. And Thornton is a nice little mix as a, as a leader of that. But, yeah, the, good chemistry between the three of them. So uh, – there we go. So then Thornton calls Mac again, has eyes on the carrier, and should know the location of the bomb in the next few minutes. We don't get to actually see much of Thornton in action, but we do know that she's so great at a job that, you know, she, as she says, you know, if I'm, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing my job right, which, of course, we know she's going to because she's awesome, she'll get the information that they need. So Mac makes the, uh, the uh, Chiget portable. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Chichenkov's guards, they have located them at the safe house, and they start firing away. Uh, but Rick, uh, Victor has a little backup escape hatch in there called a rabbit hole to get them out of the safe house. And Mac uh, grabs a couple things as they're leaving there, grabs a couple ba- uh, couple um, uh, bags of flour, puts them on Jack's back, and as they're running through the hall, he grabs an alarm clock, some wire there, and starts cutting into the flour. And as Jack runs, he's kind of letting flour kind of fill the rabbit holes are running down there. 
And we find out the reason that he's doing this is that uh, a high concentration of air and flour are very flammable. And then using the, the clock and the, uh, the wire, he's able to make a trigger so that uh, once they close the door and they still have the guards pursuing them, uh, once the clock strikes that wire, it creates a spark and it ends up combusting all the, the, the mixture of flour and air that are uh, coursing through that rabbit hole. So it ends up delaying the guards. But uh, before they can get out of there, though, Victor and Orloff have gotten a little bit ahead of them as they're making their escape. And once Jack, Riley, and Mac get out of the rabbit hole, they find Victor basically knocked over on the side, little bloody little uh, bump on his head, and find out that there are more guards waiting outside of the rabbit hole. They knew the whole layout of the place. And basically knocked out Victor and grabbed Orloff, and they took off. So Chichenko now has Orloff, which is their worst fear, because now we don't have part of what we need. We have the computer, but we don't have the guy that can actually talk to this uh, and help to decommission this bond. So uh, we cut to then uh, uh, Mac, Riley, and Jack, and Victor flying to Kosovo. They're flying to a private airstrip over there, and they get hooked up with Thornton. And uh, we do find out, though, that well, at least the, that the whole thing that had the safe house was not for naught, not for naught, because they were able to grab one of uh, Chichenkov's men, uh, men's encrypted phones. And so Riley can crack that. And once they do that, they can figure out their, their codes. And because which works out great because Thornton has intel from the courier, but even all the best people at the Phoenix Foundation they can't crack it as well. So it works out well that they now have the encrypted cell phone and that Riley is so skilled at what she does uh, because they're able to locate where she is. And we locate that figure out that he's at Camp Bonsteel, which is a U.S. Army base outside of Kosovo. And uh, Chichenkov sent a message to his men to clear out because he's setting off the bomb today. Uh, before we continue on here, let's see. Uh, Oh, uh, Boo 69 bs Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas is a go-to fun song. Uh, oh, man. All right, uh, MJ, I like you keeping uh, Boo to task right there. Uh, man. Oh, wait. You've, Boo, you started off on this like you've never done karaoke, so you don't have a go-to song? Come on. MJ, thanks for keeping her on task. And, uh, and Boo, way to pick it on. Carry On My Wayward Son. Nice, nice. A strong pick. Do not, yes. So uh, don't be ashamed of that one. Own that. Make that your karaoke go-to song. In fact, you know, tomorrow night, yeah, I'd say I say now, but wherever you're watching, probably any of the karaoke bars getting close to winding down. So tomorrow night, tomorrow night, break out that carry on my wayward son. Get up there on stage while the audience away. Start making, start making, going on your path to making that your go-to karaoke song. So, uh, so we find out Orloff is with Chichenkov, and of course it is Orloff's worst fear because Chichenkov, of course, he wants to start the Cold War again, but this time with a different outcome, the fact that the Russia will win and not the U.S. And he just wants Orloff making more and more weapons, which is the last thing that Orloff wants to be doing. Uh, now, uh, we do find out, though, that as they're trying to figure out this bomb, uh, Mac has the idea, it's like, hey, you know what? This bomb is not a scalpel. It doesn't have to be placed at a precise location somewhere in uh, at the Bond Steel base there for the U.S. Army base. As long as it's placed in any of a three-mile radius there, the blast radius is still going to take out that base. So it's more of a sledgehammer than a scalpel. So as we're looking around that about three-mile radius around uh, uh, Camp Bond Steel, they find this abandoned warehouse, which, of course— there always happens to be a abandoned warehouse. So, of course, the perfect hiding place for uh, a, a Russian, Russian despot and a uh, 1980s nuclear weapon. Yes, go to your abandoned warehouse that's within three miles of your intended target. So now they have a place where they want to go. Now they just have to get in there. Uh, and we see uh, once they get there, they figure out that the bomb is going to be on the top floor because the elevation is going to help with the blast radius. So they have an idea of where they th- which structure that the bomb could be in because they see all the guards kind of roaming around it. They have an idea that it's going to be on any of those floors. It'll be on the top floor. That's the best place for it. So they have an idea of where it's going to be. Now they just have to get in. And, of course, Mac has an idea how they can do that. In the meantime, though, uh, Orlov's being just tortured. He's being you know punched and punched and punched until he's going to give in and start helping. And uh, Tchenkov really kind of ups the stakes, but he says he's basically just going to keep killing any family members he has until he starts helping. And uh, uh, Tchenkov then activates a bomb and figure out that we have 15 minutes to clear the blast radius. Uh, that's a minimum safety uh, to be able to be clear of the blast radius. So bombs activated. They have to get ready to go. And then all of a sudden Jack comes driving this big truck in. Uh, they're going to just smash through any barricades that they have to be able to make their way in. 
uh, as they do, Mac and Riley go right upstairs. And what I do like that, Riley gets a little bit on the action. I mean, people think like, oh, man, she's just a computer person. She's not really physical. But as they come up the stairs and at the top of that, she takes one of the barrels there and pushes it down the stairs behind her, ends up taking out two guards that are coming back up it. So uh, as Mac says, did you just Donkey Kong those two guards? Yes, she did. That's what she did. So I like that Riley got a little bit of cool moment there in the action. Uh, and then Mac figures out, well, Orloff is still too close to the bomb. There's a lot of people shooting right around there. How do we get Orloff away? And Mac uh, sees like a, a little, uh, like a little four wheel cart, like a you know very uh, low to the ground cart. There, like the name of it escapes me. But uh, takes some uh, K, like a pulley system there, ties it around that end, pushes it in, uh, slides in there, grabs Orloff, kind of pulls them back onto that little uh, that little dolly cart, and then has Riley pull back the lever to kind of s- draw them back in using that little pulley system to pull them back into safety. So they get uh, they get out of the way of the immediate gunfire. Uh, but Orle, uh, Orloff tells him, hey, guess what? You can't let Chichenkov escape because he's been stockpiling uranium. So if you let him get away, he's just going to start this over again. You've got to stop him now before he, uh, before he escapes. And uh, we find out now that we have less than 10 minutes to get out of the blast zone. And uh, Thornton and Jack, they're basically taking out Chichenkov's men left and right and uh, take out a guy right next to Chichenkov. So he jumps out of a window, kind of goes down to a vehicle. As he's about to get out, like Thornton gets a shot at him, kind of stops him from getting into the vehicle. So he's off on foot with Thornton and Jack in pursuit. But we find out with all that gunfighting going around is, uh, uh, oh yeah, as MJ says, poor Olaf, you don't pick on an old man's family. Yes, yes, not that that was not... Not a fun moment there. I mean, that was just that. That was a little uncomfortable seeing those punches land really solidly against uh, an older Russian man. Uh, but we find out though, in all the ensuing bullets flying around, the keyboard for the Chiget was destroyed. So now all of a sudden, the computer, as of right now, is inoperable, and it's not going to be able to help them talk to the computer, thus defusing the bomb. Uh, but we find out though that, uh, as Max says, you know, basically. Uh, a keyboard uh, is pretty simple to work around because pressing a key on a keyboard completes a circuit. And if you're missing keys, you can pretty much use any object. And a keyboard doesn't know any difference between a key or whatever object you're using as long as it completes a circuit. So what Mac does is that he uses a couple things around uh, Orloff and then uses Orloff as a way to kind of ground. His body is going to serve as a ground when he taps his foot down and kind of complete the circuit. So in a sense, it's almost like Orloff is going to become an extension of the computer that uh, he'll use to be able to talk to his creation, as he says. So uh, he starts working on being able to start slowly talking to the computer, but one of the guards is not completely dead, pulls out his gun, is going to try to take out Victor, uh, excuse me, Orloff, and Victor jumps in the way gets shot. Victor shoots back the guard, kills him, but Victor's really, it looks like mortally wounded. Uh, still uh, strong enough though to be able to give them the passwords that they need, but it's not looking good for Victor. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. Felicity, you're saying like, yes, Riley wants to be like one of the guys. Yes. Uh, and I agree with you, boo, poor Victor. I wish he didn't die. It was a shame to see him uh, die because especially when you see those moments of uh, older versions of yourselves, like Jack and Mac have, you want to be able to think like, hey, these guys are still kind of doing their thing, uh, even at their age. And it was a shame to see Victor taken out at a moment because, you know, they could have been little fun characters. You could have came back and visited maybe in another season or something like that to kind of see what kind of wacky misadventures either Orloff and Victor together or one of them may have gotten them uh, Jack and Mac involved in. Uh, but he, as, as Victor is bleeding out, he's able to give out the passwords uh, but they realize they still have, don't have enough time. I mean, Orloff is old. I mean, it's going to take a little while to get these uh, to get all these codes placed in there. Uh, and Mac has the idea, like, how many? He knows this is a 1980s bomb, so he said, "How many digits did you use for the year?" Because if you only use two, which Orloff says, then maybe they can use the Y2K glitch to change the year and make it think it's 1916 instead of 2016. And that's what they're able to do. So they trick the bomb into thinking it's really 1916, giving it 100 years before it's supposed to destinate, supposed to detonate, instead of just a matter of minutes. So a nice little, a cool little way to be able to trick the computer into into getting what you want. So plenty of time to defuse the bomb, but unfortunately, Victor's dying, and uh, Victor says. Uh, that he was angry at Orloff for uh, leaving Russia and hurt that he didn't trust him enough to tell tell Victor what his plan was because uh, Victor would have gone with him and uh, he was trying to protect you. When Orloff asks him why he did this, he, uh, that was his job, just trying to protect him and then Victor dies. And I really, 
it, it was a very short relationship built very uh, just uh, very economically in this episode, but I still like that they're able to make this strong sense of connection. And so that when Victor dies, though, it does have a little bit of a punch there between him and Orloff. Enough of that relationship has been built and sketched out, and, then, and their interactions have been so fun to watch that you still feel something for sure. Uh, when Victor does die. And you can't help but think about the, the, the way they speak to each other, very similar about the way that Jack and Mac feel about each other. And you can help any feelings that you have about the Jack and Mac relationship easy to project onto the Victor and Orloff relationship so that when Victor dies, means even more when that happens. Uh, so basically, at that point, I knew, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to learn a lesson that keeping secrets from the people that you trust and work with and love is not a good idea. Uh, Oh, Boo69Bs, yes, yeah, that was really smart that they tricked the bomb. Yeah, I thought that was a cool way to be able to use the... Because how many times have you got a nice... Especially in 2016, have you got a really good Y2K shout-out? We've been missing a good Y2K shout-out for some time. Uh, I would guess it'd probably be you know, 16, 17 years since we had a good, fresh Y2K shout-out. Uh, yeah, uh, MJ, love the keyboard hack. After these episodes, I either feel really smart or really dumb. I, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I, I think I more often not... I, I guess I, I I feel like oh yeah that's a that's a cool thing to know if thinking like I'm going to remember that detail for whenever I find myself in that kind of life threatening circumstance that that information would be of any use as if I would remember it that long and then be, be able to specifically recall it if I ever found myself in this truly harrowing moment in my life that I would go like oh wait I saw the MacGyver reboot in 2016 that's going to get me out of the situation so uh for i agree with you uh mj moments uh feel moment, uh, momentarily smart during this moment it's like oh that's really cool cool way to do that i have to keep that in mind but then also feel really dumb that like wow i didn't even know that was those kind of things were possible i what if i wasted my life on that i don't know these really cool fun basically i want to say like life hacks so it's sort of like a life hack or any sort of uh blank hack to be able to get myself out of whatever situation in life I may find myself in. It may not even be life-threatening, but it would be just cool to know like, uh, like uh, novel ways to be able to get myself out of something. Uh, so as I said, we're figuring out now with Victor dying, there, especially in front of Vac, uh, Vic and, uh, excuse me, Jack and Mac, a little life lesson right there. Uh, and as they're kind of wrapping everything up, uh, Mac opens up about Nikki and says like, you know what? I didn't tell you that I was looking for Nikki because I didn't want you to worry, be worrying about it. And Jack says, you know, worrying about it is my job. I mean, and I, I like that Jack is, it's like, hey, you know, you do have your own life for sure. But anything that kind of relates to our working life, you know, we can't have secrets about stuff like that. So I do like that Jack doesn't like, just like, he's not like a, like, you know, blowing down the doors on Mac's whole entire life and say, you got absolutely no secrets between us about everything and anything. Jack is cool enough to realize that there's a, a, definitely a distinction between work life and, and home life. And, you know, home life, if something comes up and you don't tell me about that, that's not going to impact our day-to-day working relationship. But uh, something that's work-related, we can't have any secrets about this because we count on and rely on each other in the field. So we ne- we know we need to know we can trust the other person completely because our lives are literally in that other person's hands. A felicity, uh, you do not think that Mac is going to learn his lesson, though. Uh, Mac, well, you think Mac's going to still keep keeping secrets. And Boo, uh, you're hoping that Mac doesn't uh, keep anything from Jack. I, you know, I would like to think that if they're going to take this, especially this this close into the season, to have the story point come out, a good way to illustrate right off the bat, like, all right, Mac, this is a bad idea if you're not going to bring Jack in on anything that you're working on, especially work-related. So if you're going to address it this early in the season, I'm going to tend to think that Mac is going to be more open about what he's doing with Jack. Because otherwise, why bring that up? You might as well just kind of kept it going for a while and then have an episode like this play much later in the season. Because it seems to have a, a this sort of thing would basically alter Jack and Mac's relationship slightly so that they now know they need to keep no secrets with each other at work. They kind of see the ramifications of that. So I think going forward, we'll see. Uh, I would like to think no secrets, but we'll see. We'll see what the writers have in store for us. Uh, so now since we're talking about no more secrets between Jack and Mac, now it's the time to open up about everything. So Mac says, you know, hey, um, uh, he thinks uh, <laughs> Jack says Mac's fashion sense is terrible. So if we're having no secrets, let me just tell you, your fashion sense is terrible. And Max's response is that he hates his singing. And uh, Jack will hear none of that because he feels like, you know, you know what? I nailed Iron Maiden. Uh, I was, he was karaoke champ in four states. And just to prove how awesome he is, he plays, I, I'm assuming his other go-to song for karaoke, he starts uh, singing Push It from Salt and Peppa. 
So uh, for those of you that uh, have ever had uh, watching George Eads sing Salt and Pepper Push It uh, on your bucket list, you can check that off now. Your life is not complete. That's one less thing you have to worry about. You can move on to other things to complete that bucket list of your life. Uh, because, you know, I, maybe it was that thing you didn't even know you wanted, but now you have. George Eads uh, singing and dancing terribly to Push It <laughs> from Salt and Pepper. Uh, yeah, Boo 69, I agree with you. Jack singing that was hilarious. Uh, yeah, he was just, oh, now that dancing was just the best. Uh, so we, we have him back in or back in LA and we have a nice little moment between Riley and Orloff. Uh, Orloff's back at the nursing home and, uh, you see like, Hey, you know, he's had, he's had this wild adventure, kind of a taste of his early life before things got too, uh, you know, too serious, too real, too dangerous in terms of just, you know, having a life filled with building nuclear weapons for the, for the Russians. So that which led him to defect, uh, but now that he's back, he's watching prices right. His chair is still there. Uh, he's like, well, I guess I go back to this kind of humdrum kind of shell of an existence that I have. And Riley's just seeing him kind of kind of taking stock of what he's coming back to right now, and says, you know, it, which is nice, a nice little moment. You can kind of see on her face that she kind of feels like, yeah, Orlef would, would wouldn't mind having some company right now because I'm imagining, yeah, at least from the beginning of the episode. It looks like it's a pretty lonely existence for Olaf there, that nursing home. Kind of isolated, just sitting there watching Prices Right and then just kind of going off and doing his own thing. So Riley says, hey, let's Price it Right. You know, I love this show. Let's uh, let's sit around. Let me, mind if I sit around and watch it? And you can see Orlov kind of spark up about this. So while I don't know if we'd ever see, I mean, it'd be cool to see Orlov come back because he's essentially an older version of Mac. Uh, but very nice. At very least, it's cool to think that Riley will be having interactions with Orlov. Even if we're not seeing them on the show, at least in my head, in my head canon of the show, I'm imagining Riley still going over there to visit Orlov to having little conversations to kind of give, reconnect with Orlov, give him some, some, you know, something to look forward to in life, give him a connection, a human connection out here in the States, and especially now that Victor, uh, even though he kind of, you know, hadn't spoken to him since 91, it's easy to always think that you're going to make that reconnection. Uh, so for at least, you know, with Victor still being alive, even if Orlov hadn't talked to him, he knew that it, maybe at some point, Victor and I can come back together again. But now that Victor's gone and that chance doesn't exist anymore for them to kind of reestablish that friendship they had back in Russia, it'd be nice to see that Riley could kind of fill those shoes to be able to have somebody that Orlov could kind of spend time to, not have to worry about hiding who he is, uh, but just somebody they can have a nice conversation with and speak freely about his life and his uh, experiences. So that's what I'd like to see. Even if we don't see it on the show, I'm going to pretend that those interactions still happen. I'm going to say once a week, Riley still goes out there if she's not on mission to hang out with Orlov at the the nursing home. Uh, and then we see we end the episode with uh, Jack driving Thornton to Bannister's parents' home here in Studio City in California. And Jack says it wasn't her fault, but Thornton's taking it hard, as any I think any good leader does when you lose somebody that's working under you, especially when you've ordered them into a situation. Um, and Thornton thinks, well, you know what? I should have listened to Mac. And Jack's like, you know, you couldn't do that. Not in the situation. Just it, it, the situation. Uh, it was a it, the situation was something that where uh, you saying yes ended up saving millions of lives. But uh, as Thornton says, that doesn't make the loss of even just one agent any easier. So we see uh, Thornton get out of the car and she's going to go up and talk to the parents, uh, which is not something that I, I know anybody in that position looks forward to at all. Uh, breaking, letting a parent know that their parent, their child has passed away. But that brings us to a little bit of a somber end to this episode of The MacGyver. Uh, let's see. Uh, as listed here, let's see. Uh, I think they agree with me. They think they'll trust each other more. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, <laughs> Boo says they kind of wish that they bought Orlov a new TV. That's right. <laughs> they, just brought, they just bring a new TV to the nursing home. Like, all right. And this one has the best volume control. Uh uh, or at least a new working remote. Yeah, I figure like uh, there, there, there was that moment there between Riley and Orlov. They did have that moment at the end where they had a little look. We're saying like, all right, I'll watch, I'll watch everybody look around, break into that remote, kind of, you know, tinker with it to make sure you can get the volume working correctly. So I like to think that uh, that remote, they made it, they, they got it working again and the volume is going to be fine from now on. That's how I'm going to leave it. So as we're coming here to the wrap, uh, I guess I will, uh, yeah, I guess maybe I'll do a prediction. Why not? Your AfterBuzz sure. TV predictions. Uh, you know, just because I know uh, Mark, who's in the engineering booth, uh, is a huge fan of the show, I'm just going to ask him to make uh, one random prediction about the show. Uh, and by huge fan, I mean somebody hasn't watched an episode of the season so far. But Mark, please chime in with one prediction. One sky. One prediction? One, one prediction. Just one prediction. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to get 
uh, some piece of technology uh, disassembled and used in a way that it wasn't intended. Is that is that all right? Is that a good uh, man? Please don't too far. Uh, I man, I don't. Are you really going out there, Mark? I I don't know if anybody else is going to be wanting to make that brazen of a prediction. But to, to expand upon that, what what if it's something super simple that that gets used for something super complicated, as opposed to something big used for something really small? Oof, so like a paperclip and a rubber band used to I don't know take control of a jet. Oof, I love man. All right, okay. Why not? Right. Uh, why not? I like it. I sh- aiming for the stars. All right, Mark yeah, is predicting paperclip and rubber band taking over a jet. We're going to see that sometime this season, guys. I have a feeling. I, I you know, Mark has got usually got his finger on the pulse of these kind of shows. So actually, you Frank, you just gave me an idea for a new catchphrase. Yeah, we're going to see that this season. Mark my words. <laughs> I'm terrible. You bring the worst yes. out of me, Frank. I'm glad. Hurrah! Uh, my prediction here is. Um, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still gonna stick strong. We're gonna see more of Nikki coming up. November sweeps just around the corner, just a couple of weeks until then. So I figure somewhere between the before they go on their holiday break, we are gonna see Nikki come back on canvas and get the next big next big piece of the mythology here. We'll find out who Nikki's working for and how that ties in. As for MacGyver's father, I still feel like we might hear just maybe like a, a one little mention of him, but we're not gonna see him again. I'm still predicting not until eh, maybe either February sweeps or May sweeps. That is my predictions for that. And with that, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of this MacGyver after show. But look at this. Uh, oh, Boo 69, as we're wrapping up here, uh, she predicts that maybe Mac gets his own place or Bozer moves out so that we don't need Bozer anymore. Uh, uh, Boo, I'm right with you there. Let's hope that happen. Uh, let's, Mac, you know, feel free to give him that eviction notice. You know, don't. I, I know. I, mean, I feel Bozer charming enough that he can uh, bounce up, land on his feet, find some place, some place else to live, you know, with other people that will embrace making all these crazy little uh, amateur films that he wants to make. So, folks, thanks so much for joining me here on the, in the chat, especially uh, Boo, Felicity, uh, uh, TJ, everybody else joining us in the chat. Uh, if you want, you can subscribe to us uh, on iTunes. Give us those five stars there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, like us on Facebook. Thanks, as always, for hopping in the chat. It's been great to be able to bounce back and forth with the heroes who broke down this episode. Uh, in the meantime, though, you can continue the conversation with me even after this show is over by following me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. That's going to do it for this episode of the MacGyver After Show. We'll be back next Sunday night. 11 p.m. Pacific time to break down the next episode of MacGyver right here on AfterBuzz TV. See you then. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.